And that means it's time for the first hour of the Dr. and Mrs. Future program. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. Ladies and gentlemen, KSEO presents the Dr. Future Show. If you would like to join in our show today, you can call us at 831-479-1080. That's 831-479-1080. And now, your host, Dr. Future. Hey, folks, welcome to Future Tuesday. And now, Mrs. Future. Right at the mic. And now, Bobby Wilder. Yes, I'm here at the mic, too. All right. In San Francisco. Yay. All right, Bobby, our science correspondent in San Francisco. It's really nice weather. Finally, it's the heat wave is broken. We're all happy. And I assume that's the case in San Fran as well. You're nice and yeah, cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little cool, overcast, a little bit of fog at night. That's kind of cool. I would say it's in the 50s Oh, the 50s. At night. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, we shall proceed then, given our, our uh, September weather, normal September weather. In yeah, now California. that the future weather report is complete and we all know that we all have weather. Now that climate change weather is over. Oh, stop, <laughs> stop spreading the propaganda. Oh, no, yeah, no propaganda. It's just nice today. <laughs> what was nice was that Blue Origin rocket that suffered a booster failure. Did you Ooh. see that? That we was, did. Oh, man. Poor Jeff Bezos. He was so proud, like a proud papa. Now he has to be pissed off. Like, what happened? Yeah, it was the 23rd outing of the New Shepard launch system. Jeff Bezos' Blue Origin had a critical malfunction that led to a dramatic termination of the mission. It was reaching max Q. That's right. On the way to max Q, all of a sudden it all fell apart. Yeah. Yeah, and it wasn't like a big explosion but you could tell something went wrong because all of a sudden the crew module which was empty was just blown off of the, the booster the, <laughs> you never see that <laughs> usually the booster just turns off its rocket and then starts falling yeah this, this time 20. it was still a lot of flame coming out yeah and the booster started too it's really impressive right. if you had a chance to see it. it's been on all the news reports and everything you guys can see it yeah it looks yeah. like something bad happened yeah the cool thing about it was that the emergency abort system worked beautifully Really, it separated the capsule from the booster and kept it away from harm. The true, the drogue chutes came out, the main chutes came out. Yeah. And whatever. If there was anybody on board, they would have landed safely. Nothing right. more than a few concussions and fractures and, you know, right. <laughs> all those things that happened from like an unexpected blast. Right, right. <laughs> but the booster tumbled uncontrollably and crashed in they the They probably desert. would have had their seatbelts on, though, so, yeah. you know. The first stage booster went, you know, lost control, though. It yeah. Didn't land. Usually it lands, kind of like you see with the SpaceX craft. Mm -hmm. The booster lands. The 23rd flight was not a good one. Or it's not the 23rd flight, it's their 23rd launch. This is their 23rd mission. A mission that includes all the test missions. I'm watching it right now, and yes, the top of the thing just kind of blows right off. That's the safety. <laughs> That's the equivalent of the airbag. Yeah. <laughs> That's it, the rocket airbag. It went through a lot of acceleration. Right. But, but of all the, the shapes or designs, I mean, this thing looks like 
a dildo flying in the sky. It just, yeah. it's, it's incredible what it looks like. Yes, the giant dick ship. <laughs> <laughs> it was carrying 36 payloads We're from academia, this. research institutions, students around the world. So why does this oh, article really? from The Verve yeah. say that it was 150 commercial payloads? 150 commercial payloads. Oh, wait a second. 18 on Monday's best. flight. Oh, uh, it was carrying 36 payloads from academia and yeah. research institutes and students across the globe. Right, right. Okay, so we now... So those students, 36 payloads of students and academics are going to be disappointed. Yeah, a subset. And yeah. 124 of the commercial payloads. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, lots of payloads. Amazon's going to have to put out a lot of refunds this time. <laughs> well, the FAA is going to investigate, of course, and... It's probably going to be a slowdown for Blue Origin's future flights. Mm. And people who are paying a quarter of a million dollars or more to be on the flight will probably take a, a moment to think about it. Yeah. Maybe postpone. I'm sure Amazon's insurance can cover it. You know, yeah. Amazon. Yeah, but will it recover the space tourism industry? When will that pick up again? Because he was really the leader of space tourism with this Blue Origin craft. They were in the front. I'll take your word for it. Well, how many others have sent up lots of people like this, you know? Yeah. Remember William Shatner going up last year? I do. That was so adorable. <laughs> he is a really great astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is. He's, He's experienced. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He's experienced. Yeah, practice. <laughs> yeah. So what else in the news? Well, the uh, NASA craft that will be slamming a spacecraft into an asteroid will be coming up. Oh, yes. Let's talk about month. that upcoming violent mission. Well, it's not that <laughs> violent. We talked about it. I'm just you're saying yeah. slamming. Well, that's... Slamming into an asteroid. You're crashing. Hey, hey, that's what space.com says. Yeah. It's well, got to be right. If you were a rock brain, you might not like getting slammed with another thing. If another... I was a rock brain. But you might. I mean, maybe that's how rocks you have know? sex, you know? Yeah. I don't know. What do you know? Well, I do know that as kids, my brothers and I used to, like, take big rocks and smash them into each other to see how they break and who would win. Fun? Is it oh, fun it was you? really fun, yeah. Okay, well, maybe the yeah. rocks liked it too. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but you certainly saw what was inside them. <laughs> See, that's procreation. There used to be one rock, now there's many. Well, yeah, on Earth, they actually get ground down to sand, ultimately. <laughs> like all the sand on the beaches used to be rocks, you know. Sure, and now each one thinks it's an individual rock. Well, they kind of are now, you know. <laughs> Makes you wonder whether they used I... to be part of a big rock, but they had less freedom. Now they have more freedom. Yes. You wonder if they're connected, whether or not sand has a group identity of some sort. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you wonder if it remembers fondly its original rock when it was one. family. Yeah, when it all used to be unified. Well, back to the DART mission. <laughs> yes, let's uh, talk about NASA's, NASA's DART mission. DART mission smashes into the asteroid Dimorphos on September 26th, yeah. which, interestingly enough, I believe is the new date of the launch the of the next Artemis. Artemis launch, we hope, if all goes well. Yes, and it smashes into Dimorphos on the same day as the Artemis takes off, hopefully. All right. Well, let's hope there's only one smash that day and that it's the DART. Yes. And remember, the point of the dart is to see if we can deflect, deflect, move. Oh, that's right. They're trying to change the trajectory. That's right. Uh-huh. And it's not just any asteroid. It's an asteroid 
around an asteroid. It's a smaller one. Oh, so it's sort of like target practice. Like yeah. we want to make sure we get the... We're back, actually. What was it? A control room error? Yes, yes. We had a, just a little space gap because we're trying to create a little extra room for the county fair. We've got a team out there, and in the control room, they're just juggling live channels. So, okay. you know, accidents will happen. Yeah. That's right. That's right. All right, let me finish the story, and then we'll take our caller. Okay. Okay. This is the NASA DART spacecraft that smashes into Dimorphos September 26th. And what's interesting here is that there's another CubeSat, a satellite, an Italian satellite called Licia Cube. Licia, I think L-I-C-I-A, Cube, Licia Cube, which will watch the uh, experiment in real time so that... Our so we've got our own spaghetti western. We had this conversation yeah. before, but we've got an Italian film bot No, no, it was a different there. one before. The Italians are doing film in space. They're also doing one for another bot that's looking for an asteroid closer to Earth. All right. So if you want a film crew yeah. for your for your CubeSat or your asteroid collision or anything that yeah. you're managing to launch into space, you need to call the Italians. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the light Italian keeps set. Some things never change. 31-pound <laughs> microsatellite hitched a ride on DART, uh, the double asteroid redirection test, to the Didymos. And it's going to be deployed on Sunday, day before yesterday. And so it should be out there right now. And it'll be in a nice, safe position to watch the collision with Dimorphos. Oh, wow. It'll be the first-of-its-kind experiment designed to alter the orbit of a space rock. Mm-hmm. Right, so it's part of our new planetary defense system, which hopefully we'll have in place before we need it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the CubeSat like, will point its cameras yeah. towards the asteroid. Oh, cracking up our And then it will also point... Before we, before we die, yes, hopefully before you we die. You guys can probably tell that uh, yeah. Taylor's in the... In the studio, yeah, but we do have his mic down, but he doesn't he's gonna care. Be, he's going to be, <laughs> yeah, he's off, but he can still hear him. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. If uh, we were talking about Apple, man, he'd be all over it. He'd probably be in your lap trying to get to your mic. You're <laughs> 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 grabbing it. Well, we'll see what happens in 10 minutes, eh? Okay, meantime, meanwhile, let's take our color. Let's say hi okay. to Randolph in Pacific Grove. Hi, Randolph. Oh, Randall, right? Well, I guess I should be honored if uh, Mrs. Miss Ms. Future loses patience with me because I guess what's good for the doctor is good for uh, me. Okay. Oh, <laughs> anyway. well, you know, Randall, I just respond to love vibes. If you love me, right. then, you know, you get more time. If, if you're saying something that makes the show more lovable, you get more time. It's easy. Yes. Can you spell female? It's not female? that hard. Yeah, I get a whole head Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I called because of the news about Oracle, and you mentioned uh, Amazon, and I was going to say that because of the cloud database that Oracle runs mm -hmm. everything with, they got the biggest one. That's what's uh, held Amazon back and why Amazon's being passed up by Oracle. And according to the report, Amazon doesn't want to use AWS. And so there caused an outage, which resulted from Amazon withdrawing from whatever that's all about. Because I don't know really, I don't know well, they, about me. So AWS is the Oracle cloud service no, and that's, Amazon um, was that's using Amazon. it? Amazon. Yeah, I know it's Amazon, but 
Randall, yeah. are you saying there's a connection between Amazon and Oracle that's being changed? No, what it is, Oracle runs the database cloud that uh, Amazon cannot operate without going through Oracle. So what I'm saying is it really is sad that they had to move to Texas and they're no longer up in Belmont where they used to be. Where it used to be in the Bay Area. Redwood yeah. City. Redwood yeah. City. It's too bad that we've lost everything because they're getting better since they got out of here. I wanted to just kind of tell a real quick joke, if I may. Please do. <laughs> yeah, because because that'll keep me from bringing up other topics. <laughs> Because we uh, have other topics ourselves that we yeah, want to talk about. Yeah, you're completely. Yeah, yeah, listen to him. He's going to come on in 10 minutes. He can't hardly keep him down. For Everybody's good. But go ahead. Tell us a good your joke. Your quality is really up there, so keep go going. All righty. So, what happens when you take uh, Fred and Barney away from the Flintstones? You get rubble? No. <laughs> Am I right? You get the view. You get, you get the, the view. The view. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Have a good day. But I'm bummed. <laughs> All right. Thank Thanks you. for that. <laughs> Bye, <Okay>. Randall. <laughs> My goodness. Oh, well, what do you do after a joke like that? You Carry go to, on. You go to Mars. Oh, all right. All right. So we're right. blasting off. To prevent a Martian plague, NASA will build a very special lab in Utah. Yeah. You tell. We might have mentioned this on one of the other shows, but we, we go into a little bit more detail about this. We're having a number of missions now that are bringing back stuff from space. There's a, a Japanese craft that brought back some dust from an asteroid. The Chinese are bringing back lunar dust. Now there is a... Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Did you ever see the movie called It Came From Outer Space? Not sure I did, but I did see a film very relevant to this was the Andromeda strain. Ooh, right. Okay. Our next COVID outbreak, for which we will not have a vaccine, will be coming from space. My forecast. Yeah. <laughs> well, the fear, the fear is that we might get an alien microbe right. that comes in and could be devastating to Earth microbes. Because it might have and, babies. And life itself. And that's what the Andromeda strain was about. And so they built this really state-of-the-art facility in the desert to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And now we have to do this for real. Mm -hmm. And there are all these kinds of considerations on how to build this special laboratory yeah. that would allow us to study alien pathogens. And how is this different than the high security labs that already exist? Well, because they have to have uh, both negative pressure and positive pressure environments in order to keep it. Negative pressure environments and positive pressure. That's where pressure, the pressure positive. inside yeah. is lower than the pressure outside, so it's pushing air in from the outside. Uh, yes. So, like you use that at Burning Man, I think, to keep your cool dust, air you in, to keep, to your, keep your hot air out. from escaping. You want the dust from getting in. So you want positive pressure on the inside that pushes the dust out. Oh, oh well, I suppose it depends on if you're trying so to if keep you have the germs, cool air in. You know, if you have a bunch of germs, you, you want to keep them keep in. in. You want to keep them <laughs> in. Keep so them from getting out. Negative pressure. So, <laughs> yeah. and, and you need a, a positive pressure as, as well to keep other things from going in. Okay, so we don't want to contaminate so want the space goop stop them from coming with out Earth stuff, and we don't yeah. want to let the space goop escape into Earth. Yes. So we need a, like a double chamber protection system. Yes, and nothing exists like that yet. 
-hmm. You know, so there are plans right now to study how to create these beyond BSL-4 or biosafety level 4, which is our high-end labs today, mm -hmm. to come up with a standard for studying not just pathogens on Earth, but how to deal with the ones from space. We're going to make sure the Earth does not yeah. get contaminated by Mars. Right. So there's a very interesting piece on that where there's a group of people studying all the existing hot laboratories around the country. Apparently we have a high-end facility in Boston called the National Emerging Infectious Disease Lab. We have Fort Detrick in Maryland, which is run by the U.S. Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases. That's why they design pathogens. And, and then there's the Center for Disease Control has one. They have Building 18, a very ominous, vague name, Building 18 in Atlanta that also does this. Hmm. That's an awful lot of high containment labs already explored. <laughs> yeah. What are we doing with all those high containment labs? We must be doing some pretty dangerous research here just in the meantime while we wait for our Martian contamination. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is going on in those labs is a whole other story, Mrs. Future. We'd be happy to delve into that at some point. COVID-19, anyone? <laughs> so I think that we're, yeah, we're going to see that that this is a real thing and that we want to try to prevent Earth's microbes from contaminating these alien microbes. Well, that would only be well. civilized. They don't, we don't want I them mean, to talk to each other, I mean, if we have a right? visitor coming from another planet, we should greet them in a friendly way. We shouldn't just cross-contaminate. Well, that might be friendly on the microbes level. They might want to meet other microbes. Right? I mean, they don't want to meet humans. I guess it's kind of... Microbes. We don't know until we you know, try, yeah, right? Yeah, you know, you got to match, you know, you gotta match I mean, the species here. There's always like that honeymoon yeah, period where microbes can discover each other. But then yeah. what happens after the three months of romance? Then they start oh. dealing with the real deal. Well, they might start making something new. And that's where we must stop. But we must not let Unless them do that. there's natural compatibility. Well, there in which case it could be a love affair that goes on and on forever. It could. It could. It could be the end of us, though. That's the problem. So oh. We have to. They might like it so much that they might find little use for us. Yeah, you think two microbes could be that big of a threat? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look at look at uh, <laughs> look at the Andromeda strain. Yeah, look at the Andromeda. Look at, <laughs> look at look at the Black Plague. Look We've at, come a long way, yeah. baby. Since uh, when, when did yeah, that come out? Come in the eighties, right? Yeah. She's really afraid. <laughs> I like to think so. Now. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go to Sean and Monterey before the end of the break, because after the end of the break, it's we have time. another plan. Yes, it's you. Hi, Sean. Hey, Sean. What's up? Hello. So yeah, thanks. You guys' show is awesome. Makes me think a lot. I had a couple things. I think I know why it's building eighteen. <gasps> Little division. You'll see it is the mark of. But anyways. Oh, also, oh. oh dear. Kidding, by the way. Six, just six, kidding. Six. But I also, yeah, God bless us all. Yes. I uh, also wanted to ask if you've ever, have they, I'm a linguist and I wanted to know if they've ever detected um, any sort of patterns that would lend itself to grammar or language. Oh, now you're in the realm of the C-SETI database looking for anomalies in the cosmic data that we're collecting with our satellite dishes. But yeah. what do you have to say to that, Dr. Future? Any any space alien language coming in? Not yet. Not yet, but it's certainly we need linguists to look at it. Oh, Yeah, yeah our next guest. <laughs> I well, consider him that. Well, 
<laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. But uh, if you yeah, hear yeah, of we'll, anything, let us know, yeah, Sean. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there was, there's been some good movies on that, you know. The, <laughs> yeah. Cool. Okay. They've got the, uh, yeah, you, know, you can listen to the bottom of the ocean, and they have that rad, it's like a website where you can hear from the depths of the Monterey Canyon. Oh, would you send us some links? Send some links to future at ksco.com. Future at ksco. Yeah, we can, yeah, we can we'd play like them. to see yeah. uh, what's cool. there. Thank you so much. Yeah, we heard there's new life forms right. down there. Earth life forms. Cool. Cool. All right, right on. Okay. More later. Bye. Okay, and now to the news. Ready, ready. We are back. Dr. and Mrs. Future Show with Bobby Wilder and me, you, <laughs> Taylor. Taylor Barcroft. I was going to leave your mic down just to make you crazy, but <laughs> I you. decided to Thank have you. more fun. <laughs> this is a guy who doesn't need a mic. Be able to hear, hear him through the air without a mic practically. <laughs> okay, I want to congratulate the Chinese yeah? for crashing Apple's servers. Oh, with how did they do that? By what ordering happened? over two million iPhone 14 Pros and Pro Maxes in 24 hours. Two million? How do you know they went to China? It's in the Apple Insider News. Don't you read your Apple Insider News? No, I feel, <laughs> feel okay. Well, anyway, yes. that's part of what two happened. Million, uh, two the million. Ult the ultras are back order. ordered until the ultra watches are. Well, well, back ordered until well, well, first of all, you past guys, Thanksgiving. Yeah, they're very popular, right? Very popular. Sorry, and, Halloween. Could I just put no a bookmark in this for a second? Is. Just yeah. a second here, because what? even though we know Taylor is a man who needs no introduction, and especially since he introduces himself so he can get right to it, we didn't introduce, in case people aren't aware of his area of expertise, what he's talking oh, about. Oh, the fact that he's been tracking Apple since the early 80s? Yes, and that there was a big event last week, and he's very excited to give us the details. So all of the data that he's sharing with us is the stuff he's excited about. And I want to congratulate you, Taylor, because you came down here with just your enthusiasm, and you didn't bring a laundry list of statistics and, and I notes. I my and notes at home. Specs and... <laughs> I'm so happy that we're just getting you unbridled with your smile and your enthusiasm. It's so great. And I love your glasses, son. These are fantastic <laughs> glasses. I wish everybody could see your glasses. Yeah, I have, a, I have a really special pair that I got at the dollar store. And they definitely look like Those a are the, from the dollar store? Character. Are you kidding? No. no. Oh, but my God. I, got them. And I'm, I thought I'm, they were like designer glasses that cost... Several hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, well, they were designed for the dollar store. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, anyway, yeah, they had a big deal event last Wednesday, so we missed it by a day. But Al told you all to, to order your phone, phones and watches. If you wanted an iPhone 14. If you wanted a 14, you get the order last Friday because now they're back ordered into uh, Thanksgiving, something like that. So where, where do you think uh, people should the upgrade? The to Halloween, at least, Ultra's probably. The, Ultra was their hot new That's watch, That's the new right? watch. Yeah, and you're really excited about that I'm one. I'm excited right? about that because it's big and different. It's kind of waterproof and... It's kind of waterproof. Well, they're all waterproof. Our watches are waterproof. But beyond that, No, right? but it's what do you a, like about the Ultra? Like, what really stands out? It's the new, the new Everything watch. about the Ultra speaks volumes about bigger battery and more buttons and more... Yeah. Whistles. It's well, got a siren know, on it. it. It can it flash a siren. Getting the crowd and flash a siren. Oh, boy. 
No, but it's people geared. Are be people, right, nice, calm it's down. people going to go crazy. Right? It's, it's geared for pranksters. Okay, it's geared That's for... That's why you want one. It's geared for a lot more than Apple thinks it's geared for. They say it's for... Yeah, it's for athletes, sure. If you're an athlete, especially if you're a scuba diver... This is a no-brainer. I predict that 95% of, of scuba divers will own an Ultra within a year. It's like absolutely the most incredible diving computer that divers have ever had. So it works, what, 40 feet under the sea? What's so great 100 about it? feet. Oh. Yeah, it's way down. It goes way down. And now, it seems to me, don't you have issues receiving a signal that far? Well, you don't no, no, it's all inside. Oh, so. oh. It's got a depth uh, sensor. Uh -huh. It shows you how it can tell how deep it is. It shows you how deep you are. Right. And Which you don't need Wi-Fi for. It calculates it how much air you Hold Yeah, on, there, here you go, Bobby. Tell him. If it's scuba diver, you know, you have to calculate how many feet you're, you've gone down and how far you've gone before you run out of air in your tanks, right? It's also got, you also have to keep track of how slowly the rate that you're ascending. You can't ascend real fast or you get the bends. So this you app ascend is going to make it so popular. Oh, yeah. It's going right. to be super. Yeah. But it's also super popular for skiers, for runners, for triathletes, for anybody that's out and about. And it's got a very long battery life because it's got a battery that's two and a half times the size of a small series... SE watch, hmm. 2.2 times. Which means what? It it goes for like all day? No, no, single no, no. charge, all, longer? No, all day is what we had to begin with, 18 hours, Apple called it. Now there's a low power mode. They call it 36. This is, I'm talking about the watch series 8, 7 and 8. Yeah, those are the only 500 bucks as opposed to 800. Yeah, five or 600 dollars, depending on which, which one you get. So, yeah. Could be four. Or three for an SE. It's the second edition of the SE, which is like a four. That's a little stripped-down version. The SE really is a four. Yeah, which is which is what, which I is got. what you yeah. got. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't have the always-on capability, but that's the only difference. And I never use that always-on capability myself with a six. Yeah, I'm not always looking at my watch. No, it's not that hard to touch. Right, right. Now, right now, I have it always-on, and it's nice to have that option. I've got it on my six. But now there's a new low power mode. I was using the power reserve. It turns out that power reserve is just turning it off. That's it? So, yeah, that's all it was. It was a euphemism for off. Turn it off. <laughs> now you can just turn it off. <laughs> you just go into the off situation by holding the side button down. And you have the in the upper right-hand corner, there's a little power symbol. And you push that, and it gives you the option to turn it off. And you can still tell what time it is as long as there's a battery charge on it. You can punch the crown, and you see what time it is. Well, now, I've been using that lately to get a week off of the Series 6. Wow, milestones in progress. Because I only turn it on when I'm going to go out on my bike. But didn't Steve Jobs once say he never wanted an off switch on Apple products? Remember that? I no, I don't remember that. that. Well, this sounds ago. like put it's that, a pause. Put that okay. in your... Well, it's off, but it's a pause. Yeah, well, there, now there's a low power. It's in between. Mm. So you can... Low power, now they let you still use the watch for stuff. So if you go but away... But it still goes for 36 hours instead of 18 hours. And well, in the case of the it. Ultra, it's 60 hours instead of 18. So the area well. that they're controlling is all of the background automatic functions, like checking for signal or I mean, instead of 36. The Ultra data. is 36 to begin with. If you're using it full bore, it's 36. 
just to give you an idea, I know you don't like these stats things, but there is a stat that I wanted to read to you. Yeah, with the Apple. It tells you about the size, okay? The size of the Ultra Watch is 542 milliamp hours. I'm talking about battery sizes, 542. The next biggest is the Series 8 45 millimeter. That's 308 milliamp hours. Mm -hmm. The smaller 41 millimeter Series 8 is 282 milliamp hours. Okay. Smallest is the SE at 245. Okay, we got it. The bigger, bigger the more better. expensive, the better. <laughs> and well, wow. it's, not, it's, not, it's not really that much Last more expensive, longer. though. If you look at the Series 7 Titanium, yeah, if you it's hit, the same price it, as an Ultra. As the highest end you can get. As uh, the new Ultra. Uh -huh. The old Series 7 Titanium is the same price. All practical. Or, no, it was, it was more. It was 850 instead of 799 So Ultra is the way to go. The Ultra is the way to go unless Cheaper. you think it's too gaudy. Better, if you faster. think it's too big. Because it's fatter and bigger around it's your It's bigger right? and fatter and heavier. And, and, and it's, the fact is, is it's selling really well, right? It's back-ordered till Halloween. And, and so I predict that it will be back-ordered till Thanksgiving. If you want one in time for Christmas, you better order it before the end of September the, because word of mouth is going to... This still yeah. is in the word of mouth stage. If you're into... Uh, if you're into it's not in the advertising stage. If you're into status, it's the best one. No, it's that, not yeah. status. It's not? It doesn't have to do with status. Oh, Give me a break. <laughs> well, it's not. Yeah. No, I would not expect Taylor to comment on status. If you're into status. functionality. Yeah. Functionality. Okay. Functionality is where you're That's at. That's why people are buying it. Okay. Yeah, because All it's right. got a battery that lasts a long time. Yeah, 30, at least 36 hours if you don't, even if you're not trying. And if you are trying, they're going to get it up to 60 later. There's an update coming. Probably be watchOS 9.1. We'll probably include that low power update specifically for the ultra this is going to be one to begin with but it's very distinctive you can but tell the one, when the one that's has an coming ultra. is going to be yeah. 60 hours okay. but that's what they're saying there's other stuff that you can turn off that can make it last longer than 60 okay you can turn that off option you know what i say and it'll that? last you a week and a half maybe hey, we're, two halfway, weeks. we're halfway done with the report here so i think that's what we're going to do on watches we're going to go into the iphone 14 ios 16 really look at that we'll be right back Yes, we have a lot to cover in a few minutes. The release of the iPhone 14s, the satellite emergency service for the iPhones, the new AirPods Pro. Pro Let's, Max. Pro Max, right. So so let's start with the new operating system. Everyone's having to install that right now, right? iOS, iOS 16. 16 came out yesterday. Yeah, it's, a, it's very stable. Everybody reports it's very good. Very okay, stable. so it's no worth problems. doing the upgrade. Yeah, you're not going to have any problems with iOS 16 on any old Apple iPhone. Apple iPhone, right. And then iOS 9, if you have 16 on your phone, you can right. then install iOS 9 on your watch as long as it's a Series 4, 5, 6, 7, or 8. Not the 3. Yeah, not the 3. The 3s three. are stuck on the watch So they're, watch they're left in the, in the dust here, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. Okay, so... But it turned out power reserve. Remember I sent you that text that said don't install uh, right, watch right, right. OS 9? Yeah, that was wrong. That was wrong. Because power reserve was just a euphemism for off. Okay, I got that. <laughs> All right. 
So I'll do, the, I'll still, do the upgrade to, and you can still turn it to off. Apple 9 for the watch. Yeah, you can still turn your watch off. Yeah, good, good, good. Okay, good. Okay, so 16 is stable. Go ahead and install it. No problem there. We want you to just do that. Yeah, right? yeah, it's really good. Okay, no downside to that at all. No, and there's all kinds of different features. You, you can add widgets to the lock screen, yeah. Yeah. I'm losing it. Widgets on your lock screen. Gives widgets more, on the lock screen. More I've, got the, I've got the schedule. I've got the battery. I've got the weather. I've got the date. All just there in one touch away. The weather is, is the screen. Uh, okay, now let's look at the 800-pound grill in the room, the new iPhone 14s. Yeah. Oh, by the way, the 14 Plus, it's a failure. It's a dud. They're selling less iPhone 14 Pluses so than they are 13 Minis. Hmm. And well, there's, SEs. There's 14, 14 SE2s. Plus, 14 Pro, and 14 Pro Max. Yeah, there's it's a, the four uh, models, right? Four, the 14 Plus is a dud. You there. have any guesses? Nobody's buying the 14 Why? Plus. Why do you think that is? Because if they're going to get a bigger phone, they'll spend the extra 100 bucks to get the 14 the Pro, Pro Max. The Pro Max. It's only an extra 100 bucks. So they're still <laughs> selling the iPhone 13s. Mini. The Mini, but you're yeah, saying the... the mini. But not the iPhone 13 Pro Max? I don't know if they're still... I, don't, I can't remember about that. You'll have to look it up. Go to the Apple website. They're selling a lot of 13 Minis. The 13 Mini is the last Mini. They're not going to make any more No, they're not. there's no many that. 14s. Okay, so there's a demand for smaller phones. But there's a plus 14. Smaller phones. Nobody's buying that yeah. one. Yeah. SEs are Minis, aren't they? Yeah. No. Well, the size of a Mini, but they're not a Mini. A Mini's got the full screen. I see. Mini's got the whole body. The whole body's the screen. Okay. That's what you want. You don't want a SE. No. Unless you're really a cheapskate. Not even. Yeah. Or you're crazy about the home button. Some people are crazy about the home button. They got to have a home button. No, oh, please give me that home button. Because that was around for so many years. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand it, but that's it's uh -huh. out there. Yeah, gesture. Once you get used to the gesture interface, that's where it's at. Mm -hmm. Now, is there anything? I'm, I'm waiting for the C, of course, the USB C. You all know that I'm not buying Yeah, 14. you're getting a 15 because I'm going to get a 15 it's with the go USB C. Away from the lightning connector maybe and go a, to the, maybe yeah. a Thunderbolt. We hope it'll be also be a Thunderbolt something. Right. Well, it'll be standard with all the other phones out there. Yeah. Okay, now let's look at the 14... Pro and Pro Max? Yeah, Pro and Pro Max. No. Three cameras. One of them's a 48-megapixel camera. Okay, so that's better than the 13. They were 12-megapixel before. Now they're 48. There's really? A, there's a wide that's 48 pixels. What do they call it? I don't know, 48-something. I don't have my notes. But they were 12 before. And there's ultra-wide is still 12, and the telephoto is still 12. So it's huh. the wide lens, the in-between size lens. That's much better. It's 48 megapixels. And that will dumb down to 12. Each four pixels will be reduced to one in the results unless you switch it on to raw. So you have a if raw If you get mode. a raw photo, it's right. all 48 megapixels. Uh -huh. So that's which a big picture. It takes up a lot of space. That's why you want to buy a terabyte model if you're going to. If, if you're a photographer, yeah. if you're going to shoot raw or yeah, pro, I'm, I'm pro, no pro raw. I've known photographers who like the cameras now on this. I know the new one. More the 13s. But and then they knew the capability of video is quite high, and they can actually produce a TV show. Oh, you mean a year ago they told you that? No, just a couple or, months during ago. During this year. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But now, with the 48 megapixel lens... Yeah, you, you can, can really go Yeah, high. you can... Yeah. But you can't shoot 8K video, and you can't shoot 4K raw... 60 frames per second. It's only 30 frames a second if you're going to go 4K raw. Okay. But if you go 4K regular, you can go 60 frames a second, hmm. which is what you want. You can also shoot 24 frames a second, which looks like film. 
and that saves space. Yeah, that's the cinematic so do that. standard, yeah. Even better. 24 frames. Yeah, if you're a filmmaker, you definitely want the terabyte model. Uh -huh. Is there anything else about the 14 Pro that you like? So oh, yeah, it's got the dynamic island to look out. They got rid of the notch. And now, no more notch? No more notch. Oh. And up there, <laughs> yeah. Up there, there was, was a pill-shaped area for the face ID, and there's a circular space for the 12-megapixel FaceTime camera. Well, they combine those to make what they call the dynamic island, so it no longer looks like their lenses up there. It looks like a... It's a space for content. For apps and they're and putting stuff, huh? they're putting the notifications or the music. Like if you music, it shows a little musical icon to the left part of that. So it's becoming a... a and like to a, the right, a play, pause button. Oh, so... Or if you touch it, it'll expand into uh -huh. a bigger looking player like the old player that, oh, that you yeah, see. Yeah, so it's a programmable space where all kinds of stuff can happen. with in, 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 Programmed by Apple, yeah. And well, by developers. Third-party developers will have access apps for it, to basically. the dynamic island. The dynamic for, island. For unique dynamic hey. island interfaces. It's used in the lock screen, but it can be used in the home screen as well. Anyway, that's the big deal, and that's why people are not buying the 14 Plus, because it doesn't have a dynamic island. Oh. And if you want a dynamic island, you've you got to buy the 14 Pro Max uh, if you want a big screen. Right. right not or the, Pro. The 14 and if the 14 don't Plus don't have the dynamic island. The 14 and 14 Plus don't have dynamic island. They still have the notch, an uh, old okay. notch. All right, well, that's interesting. And that looks old. And there's also only the... A15 processor in the 14 and 14 plus. You get an A60, you get a 4 nanometer 16 processor in the 14 Pro and 14 Pro Max. So a little Max. faster processor. A little faster. 4 nanometers. Analysts are saying it's a little faster. Nothing to write home about. They're, yeah. not, they're not bragging about it like they will next year on the 3 nanometer A17. <laughs> three That's going right. to kill. Next year's the big one. Next year's the big uh, one with the USB-C. I, I can see what you're waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how about battery life? Bigger, better battery life than ever before. Just keeps getting better. Incrementally, though, right? Not, yeah. Not, not huge. No. What is this new thing, this uh, satellite oh, emergency no, no service? Oh, no SIM tray. Oh, oh, oh no SIM tray. talk about that. Okay, go ahead, uh, Bobby. Well, Apple decided to go with, instead of Starlink, they decided to go with Global Star. And it turns out that, yes, you know, if you're in an emergency situation, you need to make an emergency call or text. You could be anywhere, supposedly. But the problem is Global Star only has 40 satellites in the air. 40. Now, we know Starlink has got how many thousands? No wonder it's of... free for the first two years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. 3,000 <laughs> so far, on their way to right. 11,000. Why did they right. do that? With, uh, Starlink. Uh, I don't know. Because but, it's here and, and now available technology, I guess. Uh, <laughs> They don't like uh, Elon Musk for some reason? They got a uh, uh, well, grudge the main thing? thing is, this, is there a grudge match going on? The main thing is this. For an emergency use and to contact SCART Starlink, all you need is N41 band, which has been around for 10 years, and it's 3.5 gigahertz frequency. So a lot of old phones can do this. So it depends on your carrier. So if you, you have old, to Are you old, talking about adjust. old iPhones? On old iPhones or, or Android phones. It doesn't matter. As long as you have that N41 band. By the way, Bobby's not um, an iPhone person. Well, I have iPad Pros. and Yeah, he's, uh, he's, a Mac, Mac Mac Pro, yeah he's a Pad and Pro 
and Mac guy. Sorry, didn't but, mean to but completely I insult but I, you. Yeah, but, but <laughs> I still I got a, but I, uh, I got a beef against Bobby. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, later. I'm sorry. So, later. I'm sorry. I'm but, sorry. I'm okay, just kidding. Anyway, okay, just kidding. so satellite emergency is using Global Star and not Global Starlink, Star. and it has yeah, less capacity we, as a result. Uh, nobody's going to yeah. use that anyway. It's. it's, it's I, I, I mean, if you were a burning man, it wouldn't work. You got to yeah. be. You got to be <laughs> out see. in the wilderness. You got to be extremely stuck somewhere in the yeah, middle of nowhere. This is an extreme emergency. You got to be like one of five people that's going to go off the grid. Right. So it's not as big a yeah. deal as if you were actually using Starlink. It's the same thing with the Ultra. For regular communications. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, I see. Okay, cool. Okay, that's uh, it. Well, thanks. Thanks, Bob. Okay, so we're down to the last minute. Yes, Any last um, thoughts? Air, I, our AirPods Pro, uh, the new upgrade. is. Oh, AirPods Pro. Okay. I really should not be commenting on AirPods Pro because... I don't believe in AirPods Pro. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's right. You have a uh, I believe in stall candy. Yeah, much less expensive. Okay, good. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being in the studio. All right, you guys. Uh, in a month, we're going to be talking about the iPads. They're coming out new iPads in a month? Yeah. Oh. There's a new iPad OS 16. It's great. Yeah. Stage with Manager. Stage Manager is coming out in October, and the new iPads, and maybe new Mac pros macbook pros and maybe even a mac mini so it's going to be another apple event and we hope it's on a tuesday because if it's not okay all see right you later all right thanks taylor right. thanks for having me this is ksco santa cruz time for the second hour of the doctor and mrs future show and now your host dr future hey folks welcome back to the show welcome back mrs future Thank you. And welcome back, Bobby. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I got some more space news to cover initially here. It looks like China is aiming to launch three unmanned missions to the moon. Now, what prompted them to do that? And it appears they discovered a new lunar mineral that could be a real game changer. Do tell. Yeah, it's an energy source in the future. Okay, and this seems to be heating up the space race between us and them. Beijing's National Space Administration got the go-ahead to launch three orbiters over the next 10 years. This was reported by Bloomberg. They discovered a new lunar material. They call it Chang'e Site Y. Chang'e. Chang'e Site Y. Now, they're exploring their space rocks, right? They brought some moon rocks back last that's year. Right, that's right. They retrieved samples from the moon in 2020. It's described as a phosphate mineral in a columnar crystal found in lunar rock particles. The key thing is that this mineral contains helium-3, helium-3, mm. which could be the future source of energy. And I think it works with the proposed small nuclear plants mm -hmm. of the near future. Mm. That's interesting because they were trying to get deuterium, which is like hydrogen 2 with tritium which is hydrogen 3 is three parts in the nucleus but that's this helium 3 it has three parts in the nucleus and all you need to do is get another hydrogen nucleus into it and you get fusion <laughs> <laughs> to make it four you know you want four particles to make a complete helium and that's where fusion is created so fusion so reactors I, that's Fusion what it's reactors. for. Yeah, I think that's what it's for. Yes. Uh, have you seen the Apple TV series For All Mankind? 
You ever watch that? It's got two seasons now. Uh, or three seasons. Three seasons. The third season. It's one of your faves. Yeah. It's a whole fictional story of what happened if the Russians had beat us to the moon. Mm. And if the space race had continued rather than stopping 50 yeah, years and the, ago. The, this, the latest season dealt with the space race to Mars and right. had Russia... The equivalent of Elon Musk, the private space company, and NASA all racing to be the first to get to Mars. Right, right, right. That's they it, had yeah. a major space crisis that they had to yeah, deal with. Yeah, they had with. a lot of, lot of drama. But the key point I wanted to bring up there was that the Elon Musk character actually made his fortune from mining helium-3 on the moon. Aha, uh -huh. How prescient. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting that the Chinese are going for that. Well, now, everybody wants it, Must I be guess. the, you know, they, it's a... Do you think they know something we don't know? No. <laughs> no, I think we know about this too. And that's why we're planning to target the South Pole as well. Okay, well... What is the new space law going to be? Finders keepers? I mean, <laughs> there is no international court with jurisdiction on the moon. Maybe the United Nations. Maybe not. Mm, let's see. What does it say here? It says, unlike most nuclear fusion reactions, the fusion of helium-3 atoms releases large amounts of energy without causing the surrounding material to become radioactive. However, the temperatures required to achieve helium-3 fusion are much higher than traditional fusion reactors. Now... Traditional fusion reactions are still pretty high, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the process must... But it sounds much safer to try and experiment with them on the moon. <laughs> At least safer for us. Yes. It says that the process might unavoidably create other reactions that would cause the surrounding material to become radioactive. So it's, it's not really worked out yet, a lot of the technology, it would appear. They say that the abundance of helium-3 is greater on the moon than on Earth... So we can find a lot of it. We just don't know what to do with it yet, except if we try, we might make everything radioactive. Is that the story? No, no, that's not Ooh, the story. No. <laughs> okay. Translate uh, again for me. <laughs> it produces less radioactive byproducts in the formation when you create fusion. There is in the containment level, like the container that contains, there might be some radioactive isotopes that come about from that fusion reaction. But as opposed to a fission reaction, the waste is tremendous. I mean, we're talking about tons and tons of waste that will last for billions and billions of years, and there's no place to put it. Okay, that's, so that's fission. That's, that's, that's fusion. And yes, fusion, so that's the there might be a little temporary radioactivity that'll sort of change the landscape, but then it'll be diffused and then we can move on. Well, we don't know. We don't, but the process may unavoidably create other reactions that could cause surrounding material to become radioactive. But that's something we know about and can probably avoid. Hmm. It's just one of the issues. It's less to deal with, yeah. yeah. A lot less to deal with yeah. fusion. Exactly, exactly. And the abundance of helium-3 is thought to be greater on the moon than on Earth. Okay. And it's embedded in the upper layer of the regolith by the solar wind over billions of years. Mm-hmm. And it looks like we're depending on Artemis to keep up in the space race. Well, that's the ship that's going up on September 26th. Yes, I'm right. aware of that. But yeah. if China's doing three missions in the next 10 years, we need Ar Artemis to get off the ground at least once. I think it's landing near the South Pole on the third mission, the Artemis Chang Yi? 3. No, Artemis 3. Oh, Artemis is landing. Is I don't know of any Chinese manned missions. 
Right. All of these are unmanned. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we do know that China is the largest consumer of commercial robots <laughs> in the world. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess they can do a lot with robots. <laughs> well, they're into the robots. The Japanese are hardcore into robots, even beyond the Chinese in many respects. So, yes, there'll be a lot of robots on the moon, I predict. And Mars, as we well, we can see, it's easier to send ships there that last a long time and don't have to support a life support system. Mm -hmm. And then there's yeah. just one yeah. little provocative paragraph in this Insider article saying yeah. that moon mining could be the next source of tension between the countries because where NASA is probing the moon's South Pole exactly in the same place where China plans to build a research center in conjunction with Russia. So there it is. <laughs> Talk about the the space race. Well, in South Pole of the Moon is the next hot spot. Yeah, it would appear that's where there might be some I don't know what you call it international tension. No, it's it's, it's beyond it's beyond international. We need a new name it's for it. It's not planetary yet, but it's Well, it's kind of like when the yeah. pirates when they were sending out explorers in the ocean thinking that they were only going to discover ocean, then they discovered land. It's sort of like it's unprecedented. So we have to have a whole new legal structure. And there are people probing this question such as the people who register the star names and uh -huh. the star maps and there have been proposals at the united nations for certain national protocols for discovering land and space but there's no jurisdiction yet it still might makes right and it's not like there are any people up there to displace or anything yeah right so it's very important for earth to get its act together in terms of goodwill among humans so that as we get to space, it doesn't become the new theater for testing out new weapons. Well, yes, that's true, Mrs. Fiji. And at the same time, it could be that these space situations might be the way in which we figure out how to do that. Yeah, definitely. Where there's opportunity. Yeah, because it's a new environment. We have to figure it out. Yeah. And so we probably will. Yes. You know, And it, it has to get beyond nationalism. At a certain point. Yeah. Where we really expand our understanding of what we're doing beyond our nationalistic issues of. Uh, okay, we have expanded our understanding in. a little bit beyond the first break. Okay, well, we let's go to our break and we'll come back. Okay, to the show. We got a nice text from Greg in Long Beach who recommends William Shatner's new series on Netflix called The Unexplained. With a lot of interesting issues. I look forward to that. Episodes. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Episodes. Yes, mysterious structures, strange creatures, unnatural nature, bizarre rituals, life beyond death. Mm, right up my alley. Yep. Dark prophecies, lost civilizations, deadly cults, extreme weather mysteries, etc. So that's William Shatner on The Unexplained, recommended by 
our listener Greg in Long Beach. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. Yeah. Now on to Mars. There's a very interesting experiment that's going on on our rover Perseverance. It's got a gadget on board called Moxie. Mm-hmm. Moxie, you ever heard of that? Well, just when we've talked about <laughs> Mars rovers. <Moxie. laughs> we did describe it at one point. It, it does some kind of oxygen process, right? Ding, Is ding, ding, ding. That's right. It, uh-huh. it stands for Mars Oxygen In-Situ Resource Utilization Experiment. Moxie mm. for short. Okay. And it has successfully converted the Martian air, which is made almost entirely of carbon dioxide, CO2, lots of oxygen in the Martian atmosphere, into oxygen gas. The scientist Michael Hecht at MIT's Haystack Observatory says, quote, we're not far from being able to produce oxygen at the rate that would sustain a human being. Nice. So we can have a little habitat up there and mine our own oxygen from the Martian air. It sounds like, remember there was those aqua lungs, they were uh, oxygen rebreather mm-hmm. devices that yes, would take yeah. carbon dioxide and convert it back to oxygen somehow? Yes. Is it something like that? Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering how portable, that, well, I guess it is fairly portable, mm-hmm. that it's on the Perseverance. So yeah, I imagine that in its development you would create a skin suit that you could wear on Mars that would generate the oxygen you need to breathe where you wouldn't have to carry any oxygen, no tanks. You'd be able to just separate the oxygen. You think that the ratio of how much oxygen you can get out of the air in the surface area of a suit is adequate? CO2, right? There's a lot of oxygen in CO2. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess so, CO2. As opposed to H2O, which only has one oxygen, CO2 has got two <laughs> oxygens. Hey, twice yeah. as much. So, yeah, so there's the just one, one carbon drops off and you get two oxygen molecules. So you get twice as much oxygen. No, I don't think it... I, you don't think I, it works that way? Well, it, 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 when it works you, that way for water when you split water. Yeah. You get, you get two hydrogen and you get twice as much volume of hydrogen. Well, but what I'm oxygen. saying is I think that CO2 breaks down to oxygen and CO1. I don't think it breaks down no, to C, carbon and CO O2. Well, you, you uh, double check. I think that the natural reaction might just give you one oxygen, not two. <laughs> anyway, well, I'm sure that the anyway, chemists get, know how to get as much oxygen as possible out of there. Yes. Okay. Well, we'll look at the uh, chemistry behind MOXIE a little bit more depth. Yeah. You could be right, but we'll see. Okay. But that's the MOXIE is something. I'm, I'm wondering if that could work for the Earth's atmosphere too. It would pull the CO2 out of Probably a lot easier on Mars because most of the atmosphere is CO2 there. Mm-hmm. And it's so thin, the Martian atmosphere is almost a vacuum. And the scientists there say, we like to say we're making oxygen out of thin air. That's another thin air technology. They say, if you were a Martian, you would think that those of us on Earth are fish swimming around in a thick soup of atmosphere. Yeah. Well, it is much thicker, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And also more dramatic shifts in atmospheric conditions, like the temperatures vary between day and night by as much as 212 degrees Fahrenheit Hmm. or 100 degrees Celsius. And the air shifts. It thins out during the warmer days and becomes denser during the cold nights. Hmm. The air pressure swings seasonally as well. In the Martian winters, some of the atmosphere condenses into frost and settles over the poles, and that reduces the air pressure across the rest of the planet. And in the summers, the air pressure ticks up, and all those factors affect the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. 
which is what Moxie snacks on. All right. Yeah. Very interesting. I wonder how many Moxies you need per person to have enough air to have a person walking around there. Well, it depends on, I guess, if it's more than the prototype. Uh-huh. But right now, they, they think it would support a small plant. The amount that the one on board the Perseverance is doing. A small uh, plant. They've been experimenting with it. They've been powering it up during different times of day and in different seasons. And they found that the most difficult time to collect CO2 by moxie is in the middle of the day, in the middle of the winter, when it's both warm and the pressure is low. Hmm. And the easiest time is the middle of the night, in the middle of the summer, when the pressure is high and the temperature is low. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I remember reading some time ago that it takes five large trees to generate enough oxygen for one person. Five trees. Five okay, trees. Well, that means it needs five times the capacity of the one on board, the Perseverance. Well, that's a large tree, though. This sounds like it might just yeah, be a small plant. Well, they're concerned that the sudden shift in the presence of carbon dioxide could damage the instrument as it draws the gas in. We're trying to work out a lot of the engineering details of the technology. Hmm. I wonder how much energy it takes to run Moxie as well. Mm-hmm. They're confident they could get this little lunchbox-sized wonder to work under many different conditions. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, that's encouraging. And I'm making oxygen factories on Mars. Uh, You could create domes. You could create uh, lava tubes that could be inhabited, and these could be sealed off and supplied oxygen from the atmosphere. And there are a lot of stuff going on right now on Earth on how to use CO2 in many different processes, various industrial processes, because CO2 is a very valuable molecule in industrial design. Sure. Right. Plants love it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, when you look at a redwood tree, Uh you look at all the carbon that makes all the trunk and the branches and the the leaves and everything, that comes out of the air. It doesn't come out of the ground. Uh Ah, Thank you. I I always wondered where all the mass came from. That really was a good thing to point out there. That's very (laughs) interesting. Also, uh, in terms of human use, carbon dioxide is used as a refrigerant. It's used in uh, fire extinguishers. It's used for inflating things like life rafts and life jackets. We use it for blasting coal and for foaming rubber and plastics. And it's used for promoting the growth of plants and greenhouses. Very popular in the cannabis industry. And then we also use it for immobilizing animals before slaughter. And in carbonated beverages for the bubbles. What a range. Yeah, so CO2 is a very valuable molecule. Hmm. Very interesting. It's kind of interesting how we are discovering even more about CO2 on Mars that may be applicable towards how we deal with the CO2 in our atmosphere here on Earth. Yeah, well, when we get a whole bunch of extra carbon and oxygen on Mars, what are we going to do with it then? (laughs) I know we'll breathe some of it, we'll burn some of it, we'll use some of it for our plants and other activities exactly yeah yeah so that's something to look forward to with that technology i think that it will also be very valuable for the contest that we were talking about last month i believe oh the x prize x prize for it is an x prize right for yeah like 10 million dollars for figuring out how to extract the atmosphere yeah carbon sequestering Sign right. carbon sequestering, right. Sure. And moxie looks like it's one of the techniques for carbon sequestering. 
Well, at least it developed. gives you the carbon part of it. Yeah. <laughs> the I don't know sequestering how well, part of it, you still got to figure out. <laughs> I don't know how uh, well it would work on Earth yet. But um, it works well in an environment that has a lot. Of course, it probably would because if it's uh, one one hundredth the thickness of our atmosphere, so that would bring the CO2 levels down pretty low, and they are pretty low comparatively on our Earth. I mean, most of our atmosphere is oxygen and ni mostly nitrogen and then a lot of oxygen and a small amount of CO2. Anyway, it's, uh, it's an interesting evolution in, in this. It moves us towards the idea of terraforming, being able to, to turn this fixer-upper planet we call Mars into something that we could truly... Useful to humans. ...call home. <laughs> and, and other life forms. I think it's not too useful to most life forms that we know right now. Okay. That'll make it habitable. Again, it probably was more inhabitable in the past. Probably was. Probably was. All evidence <laughs> points in that direction. And once again, only humanity, I guess, will be playing the creator and moving it into a, a more useful young yeah. stage. Well, if we can get off the planet, that'll yeah. be one of our next frontiers. And we <laughs> do like frontiers. Yep. All right. See you after the break. Okay, welcome back to the show. Yes, Greg points out carbon dioxide is useful for fertilizer and in creating fertilizer. Yep, great. Yeah, you combine it with nitrogen, N2, and it, you create ammonia. Yeah. And well, we got something really useful there, too. For so, fertilizer, yeah. Okay, well, let's see. You know, we've always been covering the battery world because the batteries are what's holding back the electric cars rather dramatically. And... I wanted to mention that there... And the VTOL aircraft. And VTOL aircraft, a lot, of, a lot of things. So so naturally, a lot of energy is going into making better batteries. And one piece that I have put into the slate this week is a battery made out of aluminum, sulfur, and salt. Mm-hmm. The engineers at MIT have developed a battery using these common materials, aluminum, sulfur, and salt. And that's one of the keys. So you can use common materials and not rare earth materials then we're better off. Sure. We can create it anywhere. Sure. And more people can get a hold of it if it's cheaper and more abundant. That's right. That's right. And this aluminum sulfur battery is low cost. It's resistant to fire and failures. It can be charged very fast. And that's key because we're, we like things that charge fast. Mm -hmm. You'll go to the gas station. You don't like to be there more than five minutes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's... So this lithium-ion um, challenger... It looks very promising. It's about time because lithium-ion batteries have dominated the field for decades now. Not that they're bad. I like my lithium-ion batteries. They're reliable. They have a high energy density. But lithium itself is becoming scarcer. And, you know, maybe we might find some in Greenland. You know, so there are big search parties going on there now to, to get that. But still, they are becoming more scarcer and more expensive. And they can be hazardous. They explode. They burst in the flames. Yeah, this article damaged. talks about one of the big dangers um, of the lithium ion is the yeah. little tendrils that grow, the filaments that yeah. short them out. Yeah. Yes, Dendrites. short out the batteries, right? Yeah. yeah. So as you're using your lithium battery, it's building a little network of metal to get from one anode to the cathode, and eventually it short circuits. Yes. And, and then you have explosions on airplanes and things like that. All kinds of nasty things. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I know, right? Yeah. And this design, they have settled on aluminum for one electrode and sulfur for the other. And the battery is topped off with an electrolyte of molten chloroaluminate salt. Mm. 
Okay. They're well. not flammable, mm. and there's no risk of fire explosion. They mm. demonstrate the battery can withstand hundreds of charge cycles. I guess what we need really is thousands of charge cycles. And it charges very quickly in some experiments, less than a minute. Can you believe it? Less than a minute to charge a big battery. And they would cost, they say, about sixth of the price of a similar-sized lithium-ion cell. One-sixth the cost. But did they take six times longer to charge? <laughs> no, they charge it in less than a minute. Oh, okay. So that's the yeah, whole point. That's uh, very, very fast. And they can not only operate at high temperatures of up to 392 degrees Fahrenheit, that's 200 degrees centigrade, but they actually work better when they're hotter, when they're, like, really hot. When they're up at that, it's like 230 degrees Fahrenheit or 110 centigrade. They charge 25 times faster than they did at room temperature. And it seems like using them, they not only do they l work better at higher temperatures, but they also generate higher temperatures as they're working. <laughs> they say that, that you don't need any external energy to get these elevated temperatures because its usual cycle of charging and discharging moves them to those temperatures naturally. All right. So we're talking about yeah. something that's about as hot as boiling water. Yeah, and we just have to create an infrastructure that can support those temperatures. And we do already. I mean, look, automobiles are basically running on explosions. Constantly, uh, the internal combustion engine is blowing things up all the time. <laughs> and it's nice and hot. You ever, don't ever try to touch your car engine. Mm -hmm. you know, so we're already used to working with high temperatures for engines. So if high temperatures for batteries should be a piece of cake. All right. Yeah. They said to be best suited for the scale of a few dozen kilowatt hours, like powering an individual home, and that they could be useful in also in charging stations for electric vehicles. Nice. So mm. one-offs. Mm. The yeah. idea is small scale. You don't yeah. want it for a decentralized grid. powered grid. Uh, yeah. grid. Everyone can have their own power system. Sure. For their house. Which really makes us more secure in the long run because if everybody is maintaining their own system, you don't have the problems of masses of centralized grid power going down. Yes. Right? Yes. There are patents for it, for the aluminum sulfur batteries, and it's been licensed to a spin-off company called Avanti. Avanti. Mm -hmm. I guess it's connected with the MIT scientists designing this. Mm -hmm. And it's co-founded by one of the scientists. And the first order of business is to build it to scale and then run it through uh, stress tests. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. Avanti, and this was uh, yeah. published in the journal Nature, the aluminum sulfur salt battery. Next. There was some very interesting news that came out about a new submerged wave generator, wave energy generator, that has 99% uptime and no maintenance for 10 months. Oh, boy. Right. I like this one. I think wave generation is a very exciting potential source of energy. And it just sounds so sci-fi future, right? <laughs> it really sounds like something we could do yeah, well. And it's a device. And this is not sci-fi. This is real. This is reality, right. Mm -hmm. It's being tested. It's already been tested, and they're building bigger prototypes. And it was designed to harness the power of waves to produce electricity. 99% uptime for the system. It was tested off the coast of San Diego for 10 months. It's made by a company called CalWave, C-A-L-W-A-V-E. And they believe they can harness the waves to become the first company to deploy wave energy on a mass scale. Sounds good. And why do they think they'll be successful? 
because their prototype worked for 10 months, 99% uptime. Yeah. It's amazing. And it sounds, they haven't really disclosed a lot of the details of how they're generating the That's power, true. but apparently true, but. most of the action is happening at the anchor point. So it's anchored to the bottom of the sea. Right. And then these anchor lines are floating and it's submerged. So it's not floating above the waves. It's floating beneath the They can reel it down the to water. the bottom during a storm. Yeah. If there's a storm, it notices and pulls it out of harm's way and keeps generating power. Yeah. And they claim that waves, ocean waves, are 20 to 60 times more energy dense and predictable and consistent than other forms of renewable energy like solar or wind. Yeah, and Waves. they think it's the only one that's reliable, that is functioning reliably at night as opposed to yeah, solar and wind, wave. which are more are during waves. the day. There are waves at night. <laughs> there are always waves. <laughs> there are always waves, yeah. <laughs> yes. They said the hard part is harnessing that energy in an efficient manner, and they believe they have the solution. And that's the thing is that they haven't released a lot of details about this solution. Yeah, because it's probably yeah. something that a lot of people would copy if they were to advertise it, right? Yeah. But it looks like a big buoyant platform. It's anchored to the seafloor, as you said, using a tether to hold it under the surface. Uh -huh. And they've had a successful full-sized model out there to see how it survives. And, and it the does. really good thing is for a sea platform, it has a really good track record, 99% uptime for months without maintenance. I know, right? I mean, isn't that amazing? Yeah, and its original test period was going to be six months, but they stretched it out to 10 months, no problem. Right, right. So this all gives them Zero a lot of... Zero operator intervention. Enthusiasm for expanding the system and trying to get it to full commercial scale. So what's their next step? <sighs> they announced a goal of deploying one gigawatt of wave energy no, um, systems by kilowatt. 2035. I think it's 100 kilowatts. GW. Really? Isn't that gigawatt? Soon deploy. No, no, that's that's down the line. That's uh, that's by 2035. Yeah, but by next year, they're doing a 100 kilowatt version okay. off the coast of Oregon for two so years. 100 trial. kilowatt next year, yeah. one gigawatt by 2035. Yeah. That's still... Not Pretty a lot slow. of heat. Yeah. <laughs> That's they're, moving slow. They're going to need more help and more yeah. energy wave generators. But anyway, it, it's a good idea. It's happening. They have a video of it on our website at drfutureshow.com slash links. It looks like it works but as a wave passes over the top of this device. You get a pressure wave that causes motion relative to the seafloor. And with it anchored on the seafloor, they convert that relative motion to power. Sure. So, mechanical motion from the waves, moving the gears around. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it sounds pretty exciting. Yeah. All right, well, I guess we can go to our break and then come back with some new Our articles. final 15 minutes. Lots more to share. All right. Okay, welcome back to the show. I wanted to mention before we take our caller, we do have a caller on the line, that there is a new boat that we may see in town soon. It's uh, called the Sea Bubble. and It was debuted at the Cannes Yachting Festival this month. It takes up to 12 passengers, propelled by two 45-kilowatt electric motors. A hybrid system gives the power to it, a hydrogen fuel cell, and a lithium-ion battery pack. Now, this is a hydrofoil, private hydrofoil. Once you get up to about uh, 10 knots, its composite fiber hull is raised 
about 24 inches out of the water on three automatically deployed carbon fiber foils, one in the front, two in the back, and it can then smoothly cruise at 18 knots. So cool. Very it nice. seems like Very a really nice. groovy craft, and it's about the size of a ski boat. One four-minute charge of hydrogen gas, and it's good to run for two and a half hours. Hey, perfect for an afternoon knots. on a lake. I know. No, it looks nice. It, it, does. it does. It's like a little yeah. sea bubble. Yeah. It uses gyroscopic and altitude sensors to measure pitch and roll angles constantly, automatically stabilizing all, the, all along. Pretty cool. Awesome. It's got, got kind of like that flight unit, the ultimate hydrofoil surfboard that we've seen cruising around out on the bay here. Yeah, right. Except one of those for 12 people. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, you're not surfing. You're in a boat. Yeah, All you're right. in a boat. Let's take our caller. All Mr. right. Let's say hi to Nordic Dave from La Selva Beach. Hi, Dave. Hey, Dave. Hey, Dave. Hey, Futures. How you doing? Good. Yeah. You know, I like the idea of wave energy, but that is such a hostile environment from corrosion and just the sheer forces of the ocean, the yeah. stuff that's floating Absolutely. around in the ocean. That's why I was impressed that they survived for 10 months with 99% uptime. Yeah, I mean, I, even 10 months is, is surprisingly good, but I think anything on a sustainable basis to generate reliable electricity out of wave current is uh, maybe our lifetime. I don't know. I'm more I optimistic see. that we see well, you know, check, nuclear check power. Well, check out the article, Dave. I mean, it's a real company. They're doing a real viable product. They've been you know? looking at how to, you know, deal with marine life that grows on it. They're looking at salt erosion. They're, yeah, they're looking know. at materials. They're looking at safety. I think the major insight is this idea that they're measuring yeah. the waves and their movement. And I'm guessing that if it looks like there's a storm, they just pull the platform down a little bit into safer waters, <laughs> you know? No, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The other reason I was calling is the, uh, I don't know if I've been turning to listening to you guys kind of on and off. Uh, I don't yeah. know if you covered on the ownership of the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a big, the, interesting issue. Yeah. Yeah, there was the Outer Space Treaty of 1967 ahead of Apollo, because a lot of nations were very skeptical about the United States claiming territory to the moon and making it, you know, the 51st state or something. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of pushback, and so we agreed that, you know, the space would be a neutral location. Hmm. You know, I always have to say tongue-in-cheek when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Safe. Well, yeah. Once we mount a gun up there, we'll see who owns what. But, yeah, um, that's what I think. According to the UN Treaty, yeah, yeah there's, there's supposedly none of us own it. Right. Well, well but that's from 1967. There have been a few presentations to the United Nations since then. Yeah, I think that the purpose of that one, I believe, was to stop the weapons of mass destruction from being deployed into outer space. And that was uh, yeah. one of the things they were trying to stop at the time. Yeah, and there have been other treaties. Like there was a treaty in 79. I forget what they call that. It. It's got some lots of acronyms. Yeah. <laughs> treaty. And that had been ratified by exactly zero countries. And that actually put a little more precise definition around what we meant by who owns the moon. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll just have to do a little more background research into this. I think it's a very interesting question. Well, I, I think it's very interesting also that our Artemis program is trying to put boots on the ground exactly where the Chinese want to go. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like <laughs> we're going to have a legal showdown real soon. <laughs> and, they, and they do have a manned program in China. They're doing these unmanned missions in advance, but they had announced who their astronauts were. And at one point they had them in the media and were displaying them. But I'm um, sure they'll probably I, I ramp that up. <laughs> But it's a lot harder, you know, effort than I think that people probably realize. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. I know. When we see on TV the mass results of decades of people's uh, undivided attention and effort, and we just think it's so easy. But if helium-3 turns out to be super valuable, then you will see it heat up even faster. My oh, my. Wouldn't that be a boon? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it seems like we have a lot more people able to make analysis and informed decisions in our tech sphere than we did in the 60s, you know? I mean, there's a lot of people who have been developing massive skills to explore space for this generation. So I think it's going to well, move I faster. Think, you know, Mrs. Future, I think it's a good point. I, but, you know, I think what's driven that is really domestication of advanced technology. You think about the everybody's got a supercomputer now where they have access to one yeah. uh, for running simulations. Yeah. And the types of simulations you can run are just absolutely breathtaking. Yeah, so true. Yeah. And so you can try things in a more safe environment while you're learning, and then that really amplifies how successful you are when you build it to some degree. We think of the Boeing 787, a beautiful aircraft, and it was completely built in simulators. Mm, right. It wasn't until they actually constructed the airplane the first time that they ever tested anything. Right. Well, and the same thing has happened in the pharma world. My understanding is that when they say in situ and they're talking about a drug, they mean simulation of it. They mean a, a chemical model and that that's how they do a lot of their forecasting of its effectiveness, which just the various problems they have to solve in order to distribute it is all happening now with Sims. Well, it is amazing how you can just lab and bench that stuff out in cyberspace. Yeah, it yeah. is amazing. We're yes, and, and, and you remember the Maker Fair? Do you ever go to one of those? Oh, God, I used to love uh, the Maker Fairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 and they started having right. them all over the place. Yeah, that shows you how we have all these amazing tools from 3D printers to ability to have these supercomputers in our homes and in our laptops and networked. It's amazing what people are coming up with all over the place. It kind of is a reminiscent of all the microcomputer revolution that happened in people's garages back in the 70s, only on, right. on steroids today, you know, with all the tools and technology we have available. Uh, good point. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of the flip side of everybody so worried about people staring into their cell phones all the, all the time. It shows you that the people who have embraced the technology have a very different mindset. They have access to a very different kind of knowledge than ever before in history. Stuff that they well, can look at. No, oh, it's absolutely true. And it's just such a foundation of technology to build on top of. My son is 24, is a nearly graduating computer science student. And mm. I was also in computer science and physics when I was in school. But it's just amazing how fast he can create things, much faster than I could back in my day, yeah. uh, just from the foundation of capability that he has to build on top of. Yeah, yeah, it's really yeah. something. It's a true renaissance, I do believe. It, it makes the Middle Ages look like child's play, what's happening today. Yeah, and, you know, it does allow humans to continue to do what humans do best, which is dream, analyze, anticipate, imagine, all of those things. We can't really turn those over to the computers, but the computers can sure help us do our calculations and our maps and our strategic planning better and faster. Oh, I just had a, a very technical widget uh, that I had made. I drew it in, in a 3D CAD tool, uh -huh. installed works, mm -hmm. and then I was able to send the data over the Internet to a company that actually machined the part for me on a five-axis milling machine and then uh, sent it to me in the mail. Nice. Amazing. It, wow, that's great. Yeah, right. it, was, it was stunning. From thought yeah. to manifestation, just like that.
Thanks, computers. But, here, but you know, here I had millions of dollars of machining and capability at my fingertips for a few bucks for my little run. Yeah. Mm. There you go. And that's what's going on in the world right now is if you have mastery, you do. You've got so much leverage to make things that have never been made before. I just couldn't imagine, you know, hiring a machinist to go build this thing 20 years ago and what that would have cost and how many versions of it it would have taken to get it right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. And so what knowledge did it take for you to actually have to, to run the CAD program? The yeah, just to put it, build it in SolidWorks and then be able to simulate it in that environment. Then it, it set the G-code off to the machinist. Did you to, have to choose the materials? Did you have to pick the yeah. materials? I did. Yeah, I, I picked the materials I needed, uh-huh. and that was. And they, they're there to consult with that as well on the other end. Mm. But I happened to know what I needed. Yeah. Right. Can, I, uh, can I ask you what it does? Oh, yeah. It's actually um, it's an airplane part. Oh, cool. Like, uh, oh. So yeah. So I'm I'm a pilot. So I actually own an airplane too as well. I'm trying to come up with a new product for small aircraft. Oh, great. That's yeah. fascinating. And so you were mm-hmm. able to do your blueprint into an actual prototype and test it out. And now you know what to do if you want to commercialize it. Yeah, and it worked good in, in the simulated environment. And then I've, you know, then I got the real world version. <laughs> yeah. And it came back as I had specified and I had simulated. Wow. It was just amazing. I mean, I just thought about, my gosh, I mean, what it would have cost me from just uh, acquiring that equipment or hiring the people to do well, that. Well, and how ago. did you find the place to fabricate it? I mean, was it just like a directory of some sort, a Google search? Oh, what? yeah. Oh, there's tons of them online. In fact, there's just tons of tons of companies that are doing this. Ah, interesting. And, yeah, and any, basically any machining operations you want, you can specify this way. You know, they'll even assemble parts for you if you've got a couple things left to attach together. <laughs> but really complex things like cutting gears, it's just amazing how that you know, can be created now so quickly and then, you know, manufactured so fast and so cost-effectively. Right. Do you have any plans for trying it again for another part? Oh, yeah, yeah. In fact, I got exposed to, through this process, I, I learned a lot and got exposure to, you know, all kinds of people and resources. I found this company in San Jose that's making F-35 parts. <laughs> so, mm. so these guys absolutely adroitly know what they're doing in terms of precision aerospace tolerance. Oh, I imagine all so. All right, and I bet they were yeah. happy to have a kind of a, a fun project to put their attention on. And private aviation. Oh, it does. Yeah. And my wife likes it. Keeps me off the streets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wives like it when their husbands stay busy. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Dave. Appreciate the call. Take and we're at the end yeah. of the show. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. Call back. That was yeah. great. Yeah. 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 Right. yeah. Keep us posted on your other projects. Invent more stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And that's another show we shared with you. And hope you enjoyed it. And thank you, Bobby, for being part of it. Thank you. Yeah. All right, everybody, have a great future. And yeah, that means this week, especially. Keep looking up. Yeah. yeah, beautiful out there. Lots to do and lots of ability that we have at our fingertips. This is KSCO Santa Cruz. Until next Future Tuesday. Be seeing you. Bye-bye.